Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. Monica Ellie is the author of Love, Marriage, a Novel. Her best-selling work has been translated into 26 languages. She's the author of five books, Brick Lane, Alan Tejo Blue, In the Kitchen, Untold Story, and Now Love, Marriage. Monica is a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature and in 2003 was named as one of Granta's Best of Young British Novelists. She has been nominated for, among others, the Booker Prize, the George Orwell Prize, the Commonwealth Writers Prize, and in the U.S. has been a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award and the Los Angeles Times Book Prize. She has taught creative writing at Columbia University, where she was a visiting professor, and from 2015 to 2018, she was a distinguished writer-in-residence at the University of Surrey. Her novel, Brick Lane, was turned into a feature film produced by Film 4, starring Tanahishtha Chatterjee, directed by Sarah Gavron and written by Abby Morgan. Sorry if I messed up all those names. Monica is currently adapting her fifth novel, Love Marriage, for television, in conjunction with new pictures. Welcome, Monica. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your latest novel, Love, Marriage. 
Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I read Brick Lane, as many people have, and I couldn't wait for this book when I saw it was coming out. And you did such a great job, as you always do, of immediately like getting me into the character's head and a setting. I felt like I was in the backseat with like the the cartons of food all over me, sweating, going to the in-laws' house, and like right away, you're just you you sh- you're just so good at it. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> Thank you. The towers of Tupperware. The t- yes, the towers of Tupperware. Yes. The <laughs> <laughs> okay. Would you mind explaining for listeners what Love Marriage is about? Yes. So it is the story of Yasmin Garami, who is 26 years old. She's a junior doctor at a big London hospital, and she is engaged to be married to Joe, fellow doctor. He's handsome. He's charming. He's also rich. And he's very kind and sensitive. So he's seemingly perfect, but then he does the unthinkable and cheats on Yasmin. Then Yasmin does something which shocks herself even more, which is that she goes off and engages in revenge sex. (laughs) And Yasmin is someone who's always been a follower of the rules. You know, she's a good and dutiful daughter. She's a good girl. She's a good person. You know, she's got a, a, a very strong moral compass. So this secret, because she doesn't reveal this to her fiancé, is kind of eating her up, you know, it's torturing her. But little does she know that Joe is actually nurturing an even bigger secret of his own, which perhaps we'll get on to talking about a little bit later on. But basically, at the start of the book, Yasmin is kind of pretty sorted. She's got this anxiety around the two families meeting for the first time. Nevertheless, her life's pretty sorted. And then a series of things happen, which means that everything kind of implodes and explodes all at the same time. Amazing. Well, Joe's mother is sort of, to me, she sounded like the Erica Jong fear of flying type of mom, like a feminist who is always up for discussing everything and shocking and you know, just changing all the norms around sex, basically. And poor Yasmin's mom is <laughs> so, uh, you know, you you paint the picture of how sex is just not something discussed at all at home. And you have this one image of her just dropping the other in-law's mom's book into the trash can because it's like so <laughs> racy, which I just loved. And by the way, you also have the great character for the brother who I loved the way you wrote his dialogue and how every other word was, yeah, and... <laughs> And he has his own little secret going off on the side too. I feel like you have so many. How do you keep all the secrets straight? Where, how did you even come up with this family and the plot of it? And like, where did this particular story come from for you? Well, actually, I started off, I was writing two separate stories. And one of them was about Yasmin. And the other was about Harriet, who's Joe's mother. Harriet Sangster, you just mentioned, she's this kind of famous feminist icon, intellectual, academic. And she's written this memoir about her, all her lovers, all the men and all the women. It's the book that Ma, Yasmin's yeah. mother, dropped into <laughs> trash and I wasn't sure that either story was going to end up being the novel that I was going to write and then I had this 
like flashbulb going off in my head. And I thought, what if I put them together? And I mean, writing is like 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration, but this was part of the 1%, you know. I just, as soon as I thought that, I knew that was the book that I had to write. And I knew it was also going to be a lot of fun to write because Harriet is kind of larger than life. And I mean, like I had my fun with her, but I'm also very, very fond of Harriet, you know, at a surface level, I guess it would be possible to read her or misread her, in my opinion, as an just, just an example of white privilege. You know, she sort of does this kind of integration by steamroller, you know, that's the kind of good liberal that she is. But she's also got her problems, right? She's She's thinking about aging. She's worrying about losing relevance. She's a single parent of an only child. Her son's about to leave home. She's struggling with loneliness. And she's also got all her demons in her background, you know, with her own family and upbringing. So, yeah, I've got a lot of time for Harriet. And Harriet's got a good heart as well, as well as being really annoying sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) She was so into the idea of Joe marrying an Indian woman that she wanted them dressed in traditional saris at the first meeting, which then was disappointed that like they were actually just going to wear like a pretty dress. You know, the mom would wear a dress or a suit. Or yeah, she wants she wants a nikka, which yes. is the traditional Muslim ceremony. And Joe and Yasmin had just been planning to have a really small do with a a registry office you know not a religious ceremony and Harriet is so keen to prove that she's not an Islamophobe and to out some of her Islamophobe friends that she sort of engineers she starts interfering as though she's an Indian mother-in-law you know (laughs) Yasmin was dreading this coming together with families but she was dreading it actually it turns out for all the wrong reasons because there isn't a clash of cultures right is there you beginning you sort of build up this expectation oh it's going to be these two very different cultures they're going to clash but actually the very opposite happens and Harriet just embraces the Garamis and that turns into Yasmin's worst nightmare (laughs) careful what you wish for (laughs) I also loved Yasmin's relationship with her father I mean you have such a clear picture. Again, I mean, I feel like I see all these people in my head, which is probably why this is about to be a TV show, which I want to hear more about as well. But how he just quietly calls her over and they play the game. They're both in the medical field. She's training to be a doctor. And, you know, what playing the game of like, guess this diagnosis and how he calms her down in her most worrisome moments. It's, a, it's really a lovely little depiction of a, of a father and daughter. Tell me about that relationship. Yeah, you know, I I did an event at the British Library uh, last week for the Jaipur Literary Festival, which is the biggest, actually, it's the biggest literary festival in the world. And it takes place in Jaipur every year, but then they have this offshoot in London. And it was really interesting there because everybody with lots of people with Indian heritage and background and that, and everyone was commenting on how it's usually the sun who is, the favoured one and who has that relationship with the father that Yasmin actually takes that position in the Garami household. And that's because, well, it's partly because Arif, the younger brother, 
he's a bit of a rebel. He's like the black sheep of the family. He's got a degree in sociology, for God's sake, which no, you know, is of no use to, to humankind, according to his father. So Yasmin kind of resents that she has to live up to all of the expectations. And at the same time, she's eager to live up to all those expectations. So she has this kind of very intricate relationship with her dad, where one moment she resents it and the other moment she's so proud of everything that he's achieved and everything that she is also achieving. And then the the game that you refer to actually comes from the New England Journal of Medicine. They have these case challenges you have to identify, you have to make the diagnosis from the collection of symptoms and or, and often photographs as well. So <laughs> that, that's his favourite father-daughter activity. <laughs> she gets roped into. <laughs> wow. It sounded like the way you were writing about all the medical stuff and all the scenes that take place in hospitals and everything that you had your own medical degree, which it doesn't look like you do from your bio. So tell me about how you immersed yourself in this world. And was this just like finding information on on Google? Like how how did you craft uh, (laughs) such a believable medical background with the correct terminology and all all the stuff? I I like doing research. I mean, I feel like I'm fully qualified now as a doctor. I think I I could set up a clinic and you I would know, come. I would see you. I, I'll be your first patient. <laughs> uh, I did. I did do an awful lot of research, and some of that was, you know, popular nonfiction books by doctors and nurses because that's been really quite a thing over the last say 10 years certainly in in the UK also everybody here has experience of the NHS the National Health Service whether that's personally or through friends Yasmin works in a geriatric ward my maternal grandmother was 96 when she died she was in and out of hospital and then a lot of subscriptions to medical journals and interviewing doctors spending some research time in hospitals I still get emails from subscription departments of journals like the New England Journal saying, come back and resubscribe. <laughs> no, I've done with I've done with all that. <laughs> you know, the challenge with research though is always that you don't let it dictate or dominate. Yes. You know, that you do the research to give you enough confidence that you can, I mean, you have to get basic facts right. And I've got doctor friends who are kind enough to check all the medical facts. But the the really important thing is to get the atmosphere, that the the dynamics of the hierarchy within the hospital, all of that. And that's what is, you know, in a way more tricky. And that's what I feel sort of proud of because I've had doctor, you know, doctors who've been readers or in a couple of places, interviewers, who've just said, how did you, how did you get all that? You know, where did you get that from? So yeah, that's been really gratifying, actually. I feel like it's similar to historical fiction, where you have to know everything that's happened. Mm -hmm. I feel like you can always tell when a fact gets thrown in, just so the author knows that you know, that they know. (laughs) And you're like, that's totally irrelevant. Okay, great. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, a, a student just like raising their hand out of context. And, you know, uh, anyway. Exactly. And I think, in, you know, in the olden days, as my children would call them, <laughs> you, you know, 
there was something impressive about the acquisition of facts. You know, you had to go to the library. You know, you had to spend some time looking things up. I mean, now facts are cheap. Information is very, very easily available. You know, you started off by saying, well, was it Google? I mean, you know, so information is freely available, but there's, a, there's an art mm-hmm. to use the information. Yes, very true. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How do you feel about infidelity? This sort of courses through the novel. I don't think anyone's ever put it to me quite like that before. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So, I mean, sex, sex is the backbone of the novel in narrative terms. That is uh, um, undoubtedly true. I mean, it's a novel about love and marriage, and that's the title. But there is every major turning point kind of hinges on sex in one way or another, whether that's infidelity, as you say, or revenge sex, or sexual addiction, or sexual violence, or questions around sexual identity. Sex is how the protagonist, Yasmin and Joe, kind of grapple with their identities or mature into those identities. And this is, you know, as you said, this is a book about secrets and lies and guilt and shame and so on. And and sex is most often what fuels that. It's also about the converse, you know, about exploring one's boundaries, about play, about identifying your own desires. And and again, sex fuels that. But you know, the question that I'm trying to <laughs> wrap my head around is when you you said, how do you feel about infidelity? <laughs> I thought just sort of stumped me. I think it's complicated, you know, that's that's and I guess that's why I'm a a novelist, because I don't have easy answers to anything really. <laughs> I like exploring all the I mean infidelity equals bad right in big capital letters that's generally how we think about infidelity but in joe's case 
it's way more complicated than that because he's struggling with his sex addiction. In Yasmin's case, yes, she is eaten up by this affair that she has. And yet it allows her to really, I mean, she's someone who's been all sort of repressing, you know, large parts of herself. She's been, her organising principles have been around what other people have expected of her or what society has expected of her or what her father expects of her. And it was really crucial to write, I mean, there's only a couple of sex scenes in the book. It's not full of, although there's lots of issues around sex, it's it's not Fifty Shades of Grey. It's like two sex scenes. (laughs) But those were were really, really key to her character development, you know, to who she is as a person, who she wants to be, who she is as a woman, how she can be in this world, you know, what, what place does she have in this world? So that was, it's not about the sex itself. It's about what, is released or explored through the sex, including, you know, having sex on her period, which is haram, you know, it's forbidden in Islam. So it it's not just a question of the, the messiness or the, you know, embarrassment that she might feel because it's the first time that she slept with this man. It's also carries a really antique weight. You know, it's a sort of, it brings a lot more to it about questioning how she's going to live her life and by whose rules. So I don't know if that answers your question. I feel like I'm skirting around. It. <laughs> just, it's complicated. You just let that sink in <laughs> for the rest of the day today. And you, you know, you can email me an answer if you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so wait, first, what is the status of this becoming a TV show? Where are you? Are you adapting it yourself? Where are we in the process of that? I am adapting it myself. So it's, I mean, it's exciting. There was an eight-way auction for the TV rights. Oh my gosh. So much fun. It's in development with the BBC. I am writing the screenplays. I mean, it's been 10 years since my last book came out. And during part of that time, what I was doing was trying to write for TV. And and I worked with a number of production companies and I learned a lot. And I taught, yeah, because I was teaching myself how to write TV scripts. Nothing ever made it to the screen, but I really, really enjoyed it. I loved the collaborative process. So different from the solitariness of writing a novel. And now, you know, I feel like all of I sort of view that as my apprenticeship. And now it's not been wasted because now I get to spend more time with Yasmin and Joe. And it was also a much longer book in first draft. Mm. And some things had to be cut just for length. But TV is a very story hungry medium as I'm sure that you know eats up story so fast so for instance I had more of the Sandor storyline Sandor is Joe's therapist and I can now bring back you know those parts of the story so it's 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 I'm just loving doing it I love that you said it wasn't wasted I feel like there's this this 
in writing, it's so it's not a straight line, right? You write all this stuff, you delete it, you write this whole novel, you don't sell it, you try this, you try that, and it feels like it's a waste. But without yeah. all those things, you can never get to the next point anyway. So I feel like people just have to be like, there is in writing, there is no such thing as wasted words, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 but it can feel like that, you know. Yes, uh, yes. It, it, there can be. I thought I was going to feel like that when I was writing this book. It came out in a very, very different way than previous novels, in which I'd written fairly, pretty tight first drafts because I edit a lot as I go along, because I felt much more in control of the structure. And with this book, it just didn't work like that. I just wrote and wrote and wrote, and I ended up with two hundred forty thousand words, and I kept oh. worrying. My gosh. Just so that we don't put people off. It's nowhere near that long now. <laughs> Nobody panic. Normal um, size. It's not too, not too long. It's, a... it's normal size book. I, I thought it was going to be very painful to do all the cuts. But then when it came to it, it was not at all. I actually, I kind of relished the doing it you know quite aggressively and seeing cutting off the the sort of the fat and seeing that the structure was there underneath and that I think I just I keep learning as you say you just keep learning and what I learned from that is that it's not about my process and how my process has to work it's about what each book needs as a process you know that it the book kind of dictates the process well, I read that you were a huge book lover, no surprise, as a child and escaped into books all the time to get out of your own family and the tense situations there. And I, I completely relate, as I know many people listening, I'm sure, do as well, as we all love books so much. Tell me how reading is helping you these days as you go through your wonderfully successful career and and all of that are you still turning to books is it something that keeps you sort of grounded or just what is your relationship to reading like these days yeah I think it's hard to replicate that reading experience of particularly sort of adolescent reading where you totally disappear into the text and I think that's why I write because I do feel I get that something similar in terms of experience that I disappear and the day disappears and everything disappears I'm just inside it reading is harder to find I'm always reading with my critical analytical brain switched on and it's hard to get rid of that but then a book will come along and blow me away like I recently discovered Natalia Ginsburg, and I don't know how I've got to this age without having read her before. But you start reading, I started with Family Lexicon, which is an autobiographical novel. And I just thought, oh my God, this is life-changing. You know, it was, I just could not put it down. So still that experience is waiting and I'm always sort of ravenous for it, you know. I totally, totally understand. I just have a, I have a memoir coming out very soon, and in it, I sort of pay homage to all the books of the past and how each book gets me through a different part of my life, and they're sort of intricately interwoven. So, oh, how exciting! When is it coming out? What's it called? It's called Bookends: A Memoir of Love, Loss, and Literature. 
And um, yes, yeah. I will send you a copy. I'm trying to reach everybody who's been on my podcast to send them a, a copy mm-hmm. to say thanks. But yeah, <laughs> anyway, oh, coming, coming soon. But yes, uh, I, I feel I owe so much to books for getting me through so much and taking me so many places. And anyway, speaking mm-hmm. of what book are you writing on now? Uh, well, I'm working on the, the the screenplay, so I don't have another book in progress. I'm writing a short story for a Virago collection. Virago's my publisher in the UK. They are marking their 50th anniversary next year, and they're putting together a collection of original short stories. I'm writing something for that. And I'm working on an idea for a play, like a Ooh. stage play as well so sorry I shouldn't have assumed book I shouldn't I don't know I guess I was just it was just wishful thinking that there would be another book coming along but I'm sure at some point <laughs> yeah give me a, give me another 10 years all right I'll hang in there <laughs> last question what advice would you have for aspiring authors read it's <laughs> like three things you're going to do read read and then read I mean I teach creative writing from time to time and it never ceases to amaze me it, when there's an aspiring writer who doesn't actually read that much and I think you can't hope to be a serious writer without being first a serious reader you don't need to pay money to go on a, a an MFA you don't need to pay money to go on an evening course I mean if that if you can afford it and it benefits you then that's great but really all you need because I grew up in a house without books we didn't have money for books but I had a library card and that's free you know I don't know whether it's still free in the states but I hope it is (laughs) Um, but if, if you could get yourself a library card you have the key to everything that you need to, to, to learn to be a writer. And you can do that through reading. And the other essential ingredient is curiosity. You know, fiction just doesn't look inwards. You know, it's not all about navel gazing. You have to be curious about the world, about other people, about events big and small, about, you know, how a baby can startle itself awake about what's going on in you know society or the what whether that's at a local level or an international level you just have to have a thirst I think for for finding out I love that a thirst for finding out that's perfect Monica thank you so much sorry I I threw you so much with my other question (laughs) but I really enjoyed I enjoyed the reaction so much I could just sit here and watch you you know squirm so that was awesome (laughs) I should have asked you how you feel about infidelity. But you didn't. So there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and uh, (laughs) hope to stay in touch. (laughs) Thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.